Welcome to Bound and Determined, the podcast. I'm your host, Meg McKean. We hold this space to learn from, to grow with, to support, and to celebrate all of the women in insurance. I am so glad that you're here. Amy Wanninger is an author, she's an ally, and a friend. Have a listen as we talk about networking, you don't have to hate it, and the use of pronouns and how important they can be to helping others feel included, and the importance of showing up, even when you might not be invited. Off we go. Amy, I'm so excited to have you on this episode of Bound and Determined, the podcast. As we kick off, can you share with me and share with our audience a little bit more about how you came to be doing the work that you do? Oh, sure. How long is your podcast episode? Yeah. Um, yeah. Three hours and 22 minutes. Perfect. That's exactly how much time I need. No, so I, um, I worked in the insurance industry for about 12 years. And my whole career up until the point that I'm going to start talking about, uh, my whole career was in information technology. So before insurance, I worked for 10 years for different companies, right? Small startups or not startups, but small software companies, you know, big companies with IT departments and everything in between. And I landed in the insurance industry, like so many of us do by accident. Let's see, I guess I was there about, I don't know, maybe five years. And my passion, if I go all the way back to like my college days, I wanted to be an attorney. I wanted to be a civil rights attorney. Like my senior year of college, you know, I came from very humble beginnings, so I didn't really understand what people did as jobs, right? And my senior year of college, I found out how much law school would cost. (laughs) And I found out what pro bono meant. And I decided I was not going to be going to law school. So I went back and got a second degree in computer science. Fast forward 20 years of career in in and around IT, the last 12 in insurance. Well, in about, I want to say it was like 2012, maybe, uh, 2015, somewhere in there, the company that I worked for hired a chief diversity officer. And I was still working in IT, but I saw this title of this individual that they hired. And I thought, well, that's a, an interesting title. I've never heard of that. Wonder what that person does. And so I looked up the job description and I started researching this. I was like, oh, wow, you can get paid to do this work. This is important work, right? Making sure that people have equal access to opportunity in a company, making sure that people feel included and welcome, making sure that businesses aren't missing opportunities because they don't have the right people in the right spots or they don't have enough different people at the enough different voices at the table to make sure that they're hitting the right market segments so they're going to market with the right products this is super important work right and especially in the insurance industry where what we do is and i still say we because it's still near and dear to my heart you know the insurance industry makes all economic investment possible so if the insurance industry isn't reaching a diverse market then there are entire communities that are being underserved or unserved and underdeveloped and underutilized and you know underperforming in the economy. And that's not okay with me. So I got really excited all over again about the possibility of doing some sort of work around equality and opportunity and diversity. Well, nothing on my resume said, hire me for your diversity office, right? 
so I decided like I've got to do something and going back to school just wasn't an option but what was an option was to read on my own I'm an avid reader I read a ton of books and I just started volunteering everywhere I could for anything I could do to further the mission of the diversity office and I kind of showed up when I wasn't invited and just sort of kept raising my hand until finally people you know started calling on me for things so that was kind of the genesis of this and then in 2016 I got my CPCU designation. And so I went to Hawaii and I was nervous as anything about going to this conference. I'd never been to a conference before, Meg, ever, ever, nothing. And I was so nervous and I didn't know how to quote unquote network. And I decided to play a game where I would just try to help three people a day because I just, the social interaction was so awkward for me. And so I started doing that and it got easier as the conference went on. But I noticed while I was there that they had some specific to the insurance industry topics around diversity and inclusion, but I wasn't walking away with action items. And I thought, wow, I'd really love to come back next year and present something that people can actually take notes and walk away with things they could do, right? Because doing is what makes a difference. Thinking about it's great, but until we do something different, our, our results don't change. So I came home and thought about it for a little bit and I pitched to the CPCU Society, the idea that I had, which was like some sort of actionable takeaway around diversity and inclusion. And they accepted my proposal. I was like, oh no, now what do I have, you know, what am I going to say? <laughs> like, I don't know what this means, right? I didn't in a million years think that they'd accept it, but they did. So I put together this, this concept, ironically called Network Beyond Bias, uh, where I took how I overcame my fear of networking and how we can live our values of diversity and inclusion to make a real difference in creating opportunities for ourselves and others. That became a book. It became a workbook. It became a journal. It became 75 presentations over the last two years. And a whole business has resulted from that. And it's just, it's been an incredible, incredible journey because what I found is, you know, people there are people who are going to read theoretical stuff no matter what, just because they're interested in it, right? Dorks like me. There are people who are never going to be on board because it's just not important to them or it's not part of their value system. And I'm not really concerned with talking as much to those folks, but it's this huge swath of people in the middle who either think, well, my heart's in the right place and there's nothing else I can do, or who say, well, I'd love to do something, but I don't know what to do. And I found that that's just such fertile ground for having these conversations because there are so many people who believe in this work, but just don't know how to put one foot in front of the other to make a difference. Yes. Oh my gosh, Amy, there's so much there. I feel like we could have three, three hours on the topics that you've covered there alone. I want to go back to the beginning of your path there because you touch on career path and I suspect there's more than one listener today who might perhaps not be where she wants to be when it's all said and done on her career path. And I think that's a really important part of your story that it really starts with a sense of curiosity. And I love the phrase that you used, showing up where you're not invited. And I love that even though on the exterior, you didn't feel qualified to do the work that you were doing, you were curious enough to plant yourself at the table and be part of that conversation. And I think that's really powerful. And you mentioned volunteering as well, which I think is a really smart way to get involved and build those connections. I want to ask you to dig a little deeper and, and I won't spoil all the goodness that's in your book because it really is full of, 
of networking nuggets, so to speak. But you mentioned when you went to that first CPCU conference that you were nervous, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but about that event and about the, the size and the scope and meeting all of those people. But you made a plan to help three people a day. Is that, did I understand that? Can you dig into that a little bit more? Because Again, networking is not something that comes naturally for a lot of us and, and is something that we definitely grow into the more we practice. And that sounds like a, a pretty actionable item that I'd like to know more about. Sure. So yeah, I think when most people think of networking, they think about you know the alpha male sales guy with his super glossy business cards. You know, he's passing out like a blackjack dealer at the table, right? And that was the concept I had in my head, right? Like I had to have an elevator pitch and I had to be schmoozy and I had to, you know, whatever. None of that's true. None of it is true. And in fact, whenever I go into anything with the idea that I'm going to hand out business cards and, you know, try to, try to sell something, like it never ever goes well. What I learned was, and I'm horrible, horrible at sales. So I need your help with that. But you know, one of the things that I learned was if you're just curious about other people and you have a genuine interest in helping them, not because you think you're going to get something back, but just because you're interested, you know, where do they work? What do they do? What problem are they trying to solve? What great books have they read lately? Is there something new in their life that's making them anxious? Like whatever that thing is, right? And for me, I'm a natural connector. So a lot of the helping that I did was either connecting people with other people or connecting people with books or articles or websites or ideas. And I'll just give you a couple of like super simple examples. So I'm at this conference. There are thousands of people there, completely overwhelmed. And I noticed there's a speaker getting ready to go into a session and he's collating his handouts because the printer didn't do it right. Hmm. And I said, hey, would you like some help with that? Because I could tell he was like a little anxious, right? And he's like, oh, that would be great. And he showed me how to stack them. And I said, fine, I got it. You go prep for your session. I will get this done. And while I was standing there offering, somebody else heard me and she came over and started helping too. So then there were two of us doing it and we got to talking a little bit. I have no idea if I ever saw that presenter again. Didn't matter. The point was I was doing something to help. In another session I attended, there was a woman who was presenting and she was trying to incorporate audience feedback into the session. And there were mic stands, you know, down the aisles and nobody was getting up. And it was starting to get a little awkward, but I could tell like that was her plan, right? Like she really needed somebody to react to, to move forward with her talk. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm not afraid of getting up in front of people. I'll go to the mic and I'll ask a question or answer her question or whatever it was. And it sort of broke the ice and got everybody else sort of made it okay for other people then to participate. And that woman, uh, her name's Kathleen. She and I are now really good friends. Another person, you know, got up in a session and asked a question about, you know, how to interact with a certain type of colleague in the workplace. And I found her afterward and I said, you know, I just read a really good book that I think would be helpful for you. And I'd be happy to send you a copy. And she said, you don't have to send me a copy. Just tell me what the book is. So I told her what the book is and maybe she got it. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she thought it was nuts. I don't know. But the point was I had to get a little bit out of my comfort zone and I had to talk to people I didn't know because I didn't know anyone there. And it was just little things like that that made a big difference for how I experienced the event. And I try to get back in that place every time I go somewhere where I don't know people, where I look for someone who looks as anxious as I feel and just say, hey, you know, what brought you here? And is there some problem that you're trying to solve or is there somebody that you're looking for? How can I help? Hmm. That's so powerful. I think networking categorically can feel so heavy and so full of pressure, but when you really boil it down to that very basic behavior, what can I do to help knowing that there may be nothing 
financially in it for me or for you. But that feeling that we leave that person with is often what drives whatever that next decision might be to stay engaged, to connect with you further, to ask what you do and how you can, they can help you. I think that's really, really powerful and so much more approachable than that slick business card poker game. I love that. And (laughs) I think we all know, we all know those people. Um, Yeah. And you know, I'll give you the flip of that. If I may, I got a request on LinkedIn just today from someone and it was a, and I'm not kidding you. It was a four paragraph email message in my LinkedIn inbox starting with, I loved the article that you wrote in such and such journal. Okay, we're off to a good start. And then it was three or four paragraphs of this person asking me to review their resume and give them advice. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know what job you're trying to get. I'm not... Like, I don't do resume reviews. It's not my thing, right? I do consulting and, you know, I do strengths coaching, but I don't do resumes. You know, it was very clear that it was going to be hours worth of work that this individual wanted me to do, you know, out of the goodness of my heart, which in some cases I don't mind, but that's really the wrong way to approach networking, right? Mm, the right way yeah. to approach networking is, hey, you know, I loved your article. I'm going to get a copy of your book. And by the way, can you recommend a book on X? And then maybe three months from now, ask me to look at your resume, <laughs> not like right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, or a simple reframing of, do you do resume reviews? Or do you know someone who does resumes? I guarantee in your network, you've got somebody that does and, and would be much more aligned. It's hard though, like total transparency. I know, you know, I do a lot of work on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I want to applaud people for showing up, right? There's a right way and there's a wrong way, but it's a platform that is, it is literally the wild, wild west for insurance people these days and Mm. like craving good content and craving connection and interaction and engagement. And so anybody that's showing up there authentically, I just, I give them a big high five, but that sounds like a little much, so to speak. And I've been guilty of it too. I get super excited about, you know, a new connection and I send a a message and realize that, man, that came off way more salesy or way more spammy that, that I wanted to and, and hope that the recipient is giving me the benefit of the doubt. So absolutely. And, you know, and we're, we all are learning, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. So, you know, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll say, Hey, you know, I'm interested in what you do. I saw that we're in the same group or we know the same person. I'd love to learn more about you and your work and just leave it at that. And then kind of let that relationship sort of marinate over time, right? And yeah. then go back and say, hey, I noticed you're struggling with X. Did you know that I have a free workbook for that? Oh, or I love something it. like that, right? Just offer something at the outset instead of like, hey, do you happen to have your checkbook handy? Because <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Let's dig into this progress over perfection. So the work yeah. that you do focused on diversity and inclusion is there's so much work to be done in insurance. And I know that you serve other industries, but for purposes today, we'll focus solely on the insurance industry. And I know you've been at this for a long time. Officially, I'm in my 20th year now, which is in some ways an amazing milestone, but it also is a reminder of how much work we have yet to do. So I believe DNI to be a blind spot for a lot of leaders in the industry. And I'd love for you to dig in a little bit more about what do you see when you're out there pounding the pavement? What are some of the objections that you receive? What's your take on where we stand? Oh boy, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people that are really good technically within the insurance industry get promoted into leadership positions because they're good technically and not because they're good with people. Now, I do know a number of leaders. That's not a blanket statement, right? There are a number of leaders who are good leaders of people first, 
but you know, it's hard if you are, you know, if you're an actuary at heart, let's say, and you know, your strength is in numbers and routine and consistency and focus and heads down. It's really difficult, I think, to expect somebody because they're a really good actuary to then lead a team of actuaries. You know, people who are very technically proficient and we talk about people skills as soft skills as if they're not as important. And I think nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I think I'm a perfect example of this, right? I have to work really hard to get outside my own head and talk to other people about what they're interested in as opposed to what I'm interested in and in that sort of thing, right? I can be very in my own head. And as a leader, you have to not be in your own head most of the time, right? You have to be in the minds of the people that work for you. How can you serve them? How can you develop them? How can you make them more effective? How can you champion them? Mm. You know, as leaders, we, we need to be people first and technical second, the more different someone is from us, the harder it is to be people first because we want to go to where we're comfortable, which is, you know, here's how to underwrite this policy and not here's how to deal with Karen, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so like like it's so much simpler when we have rules and guidelines and flow charts. Uh Uh-huh. And so, you know, and then, you know, heaven forbid, you know, we have two people who are different from us and different from each other. And we're all three trying to work together. And now it's like, we don't even know how to interact. You know, I know that a lot of people say, well, the rules keep changing. Well, the rules need to change. And the reason the rules need to change is because as an industry, we have some real talent problems. We do not have enough people replacing the folks that are going to retire. We are not catching up as fast technically, technologically as we need to, to automate the work that's going to be left behind. We don't have the knowledge transfer systems in place. And you want to talk about a huge people problem in insurance. Knowledge transfer is probably one of our biggest problems because we have all these folks retiring. Nothing's documented. We don't know how anything works, especially in larger companies. If John's out for the day, nobody knows what John does or how he does it. And I think in claims, it's a little better because, you know, we have to document. But in other parts of the companies, a lot of times people don't know what's going on, you know, with somebody else's book or somebody else's work or somebody else's processes. So we really need to, I think, shift our focus to people first and try to get that part of our work as prevalent, if not more prevalent than the technical skills. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And I see that I'm largely spend my time on the agency side. And so I I see that same gap between high producing salespeople and agency leadership. Often we promote that great salesperson into a leadership role and they're miserable because they belong on the front lines and yet we want to move them into more of that leadership mentorship role. And frankly, they're just not suited for it. And then the the whole organization suffers. So I hear that loud and clear um, and definitely agree that even as salespeople, we focus so much on the technical, you know, I've got to be, and of course you have to be technically proficient. Don't get me wrong. This is a legal contract that we're selling here, but the sale is made because of that human connection, not because I have the most robust, complex insurance policy in front of me. If they don't like me and can't relate to me, they're not going to buy anything from me. So yeah. And you think about the insurance contract, you know, somebody walking into an agency, for example, you know, they're not there because they want to be right. (laughs) They're there because they have to be. Mm -hmm. Um, They're probably very trepidatious about the conversation. They probably don't trust what's going to happen in the interaction. They don't understand the verbiage. They don't understand the product. They don't want to have to use the product. Mm Mm-hmm. And they don't want to have to pay for it. Yeah. So you've already got all of that. Now you think about, and I know that, you know, the audience that we're, we're talking to is mostly women, you know, most principals are male. 
most principals are white. Now you imagine all of those things going into that conversation, right? All of that fear, all of that hesitancy, all of that reluctance, and then add gender difference, racial difference, language difference on top of that, mm-hmm. how hard it would be for somebody to walk into that office and initiate that conversation. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that we need the insurance industry to be more diverse at every single level. Because if let's say I'm a woman of color and I'm starting my own business and I don't have an agent that I trust, I'm not going to be properly insured. Mm -hmm. Well, what does that do to my family? What does that do to my whole community? If I'm not properly insured, if my business is not properly insured. And so as an industry, if we're underserving or not serving entire segments of the population or entire communities, we're falling down on the job of our own, you know, our own making, right? Our own responsibility and our own promise. Yeah. And it all feeds back to that talent gap that we have. We continue to hire and attract like candidates and that attracts like customers, but it doesn't reflect what the world really looks like and what's actually happening out on the street. And everything is insurable. Every business will eventually grow to a point that needs insurance. Every individual has something worth insuring. So it is a huge gap for us as an industry. I love obviously fundamentally the work that you're doing. What I do stems largely from my belief that women have every opportunity to be as successful or more successful as their male counterparts on the front line selling insurance. We're certainly equipped to do it. And I love having these conversations because it really highlights the overall importance and responsibility that we have as ambassadors for the future of the industry, that we have these really candid conversations. So I appreciate all of your thoughts there. So one of the things that I've observed, so I'm calling on primarily agency owners and principals. We're sitting in a conference room and we're talking about staffing goals and salespeople and we bring up demographics. Often they don't recognize how homogenous their sales team really is. And in many cases, they are where they want to be. So they've met their financial goals and they're growing at a nice clip and they're pretty happy. So changing that dynamic is of little importance. And I bet that you run into some of that too. So if you are hypothetically, you're listening to the podcast right now, you're a a young woman because we speak primarily to women on the podcast, you see an issue, so to speak, in your organization. There's somewhere that you want to go and you see a roadblock. What would be a practical step that she could take to make some progress. It's the old fighting city hall, climbing uphill, you know, throw out the cliche, but yeah. it's legit. These are real problems that are we are being faced with as an industry and we've got to figure out solutions. And I love that you're so solution oriented. Thank you. So, you know, I think for, especially for a young woman on the agency side, you know, I know that it's really an old boys club, right? In sales, in sales in almost every industry, it's an old boys club. And a lot of times women are undervalued for their smarts and overvalued for other things. And, you know, we just, we have to get smart. We have to get really smart about how we approach things. Women are responsible for somewhere between 75 and 80% of all household purchasing decisions. Wow. And that's huge. So if you think about, you know, 75 to 80% of principal insurance agents are men and 75 to 80% of insurance buying decisions are made by women. And there are more women business owners now than there've ever been in the past. I mean, these demographics are changing. Now, if I'm a woman and I walk into, and I'm making a decision, right, for my family, and I walk into an agency and I'm not treated with respect as a woman, Hmm. I'm probably not going to do business there. And so I think we as women need to get really smart about understanding what 
what the buying power is of other women, understanding the market opportunities that are not being served by the deals made on the golf course, understand the opportunities that are out there in these small businesses. Who owns the Asian grocery store in your town? Who owns the, you know, the taqueria in your town? Go talk to those people. I can almost guarantee you, right, that that the alpha male, you know, card deal, business card dealers in your agency are not showing up at, for example, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce meetings. They're not showing up at the Black Chamber of Commerce meetings, the women's or the LGBT chambers of commerce. And if most of our agents don't fit those demographics and most of our agents won't show up there, I think that's a great opportunity for women to show that not only can we compete, but we can create entirely new markets for our agencies. Yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. I just got chills, Amy. I just love that idea. I hear all the time from salespeople, I need more prospects. I need more prospects. I need more customers. I need more customers. And the reality is in so many ways, they keep barking up the same trees. And by broadening your potential client base categorically, you've just opened up the floodgates of opportunity. And And, it's uncontested space. Right? And it's like, I say this all the time, daily. I think it will eventually end up on my tombstone when I die. But no agency principal or owner is going to sit you down as a salesperson and say, I'm so sorry you're making too much money for the agency. And so- (laughs) Try it, right? Like how how do you know? Show up at the table. I love back to your original thought. Sit where you're uninvited. I love it. Shake the tree. It's great. It's so powerful. I hope that resonates with just one person listening because I know personally I've been hired because I was a woman. I've been not hired because I was a woman. I've been fill in the blank because I was a woman. And I feel like Uh, I I don't feel, I know that so many of us can relate to these anecdotes in our own way and, but yet are committed to the work and understand the value and the importance of delivering on the promise of insurance, which is what we're all here to do in our own way. So absolutely. And you know, when we show up in an authentic way, right, in a caring and curious and, and heartful way Mm -hmm. to these places where we weren't invited or where, you know, I always say, go to the meeting that's not for you, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you show up at whatever chamber of commerce or whatever local meeting of people who are probably underserved. And you say, look, I'm here. I'm just here to listen. I'm here to understand what are the challenges you're facing? Because I may have access to resources that could help. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a sales pitch. Sometimes it's just, you know, you know, different people than these folks know. They know different people than you know. And we all know that referrals are the best way to get business. Well, once you're in, right? With a community, once you're in and you're trusted in a community, all of that business will then follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think people are craving new and different, not just in financial transactions, but in life. We're all really tired of the status quo. So I think the timing is great for particularly new to industry folks to dip their toe. There's so much opportunity job-wise. I'm just amazed every day something new hits my radar and it's like, man, if I had it to do all over again, wouldn't that have been a really interesting next step? So I love all the all the parallels that you and I share, but also just this thought and 
intention around the teams that we're creating and the people that we're serving is great. Switching gears a little bit here, really specifically, I had an interesting conversation with a woman who I have a lot of admiration for. We connected ironically through you and LinkedIn. And she had asked me some interesting questions about my LinkedIn profile and my use of my pronouns on my profile. I'd love to know kind of the why and just dig into that for me because I added my pronouns to my profile with the very best of intentions. And I think that inadvertently might've created some confusion for those that aren't as up to speed as maybe you or I are. So can you enlighten me and enlighten our listening audience? Sure. So I'll be really honest with you. The first time I put my pronouns on anything, it was my email signature at work. Yeah. And I did it because I went to a conference. Um, It was an LGBTQ conference for MBA students and graduates. And anyway, it was talking about niche, right? (laughs) LGBTQ MBA students and and alumni. And there was a, a woman who spoke. She was a trans woman. And she gave this very moving speech about her her time in the military and, you know, coming home. And it was very powerful. And at the end, she asked us to do two things. And one of the things was add our pronouns to our email signatures. I didn't really think about how I was going to explain that if somebody asked, but I was like, okay, well, if she says this will help, I'll do it. Right. Because, okay, if that's what being an ally is, and I'm committed to being an ally to the trans and non-binary community, then that's what I will do. And then someone asked me and I could feel my face get red and I started sweating, you know, that really uncomfortable because I didn't know what I was going to say. And what I said was I met a trans woman who said that this would be a big help in making it okay for people to be trans at work. And that was the best explanation I could come up with in the moment. And turns out that was pretty all right. But as I've evolved my understanding of this and as I've, I've come to understand more and I've started using my pronouns everywhere on social media, in my email signature, in my bios, everywhere. The first thing is we can't always make accurate assumptions about people's gender based on how they look for a variety of reasons. So that's number one. Number two, sometimes you don't see the person that you're talking to. And I think about when I worked in corporate America and I worked with people, especially overseas, I wasn't familiar with the naming conventions used in their cultures. And so I didn't always know if I was talking to a he or a she or a they in email correspondence, because if you interact with someone directly, you don't always know what their pronouns are. And then you're talking about them to someone else. You know, I was working with Jamie and he said, right. And then they say, well, Jamie, Jamie who? And then you tell them and they're like, oh no, Jamie's a she, right? Because sometimes the names are ambiguous and sometimes we don't understand the cultural nuances and sometimes we've just made a wrong assumption. So I found it was very helpful for interacting with people I didn't know, whether they were in the US or not. And it was very helpful for other people to see that I was an ally to the trans and non-binary community. Because when I put my pronouns in my signature, what happened was people would come to me and say, Thank you for doing that. I appreciate your allyship. Yeah. And they knew that I was somebody that they could come to for help. It's kind of like when you wear the pink ribbons, you know, that say that I'm a breast cancer survivor or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just showing your support and solidarity for people who have been through that experience. It's kind of the same. It's kind of on par with that. And it just lets people know, hey, you know, I'm somebody you can talk to. My office is a safe space. You know, I've got your back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that perspective. And I think the feedback that I received was so well-intentioned. And I think 
that's the reason that we have to have these conversations is that the learning and the growing is sometimes clumsy and awkward. And I certainly wasn't able to verbalize so eloquently the why behind the action, except that I knew the intent was exactly Mm -hmm. as you described, which is to make sure that that sense of allyship and of, of welcoming and acceptance was something that I offer. It's so interesting, and I suspect there will come a time in the not-too-distant future that we see pronouns everywhere. But as a, an early adopter, if you will, I appreciate you sharing and enlightening not just me, but our listeners oh, as sure. well. Sure. And I'd like to add too, for those who maybe aren't paying attention to these sorts of things like I do, the word they actually made Merriam-Webster Dictionary's uh, word of the year this mm. year as a singular pronoun. And I'm going to explain this really quickly, I promise. Yeah, so no, we tend to get very flustered, right? When somebody says, you know, my pronouns are... And then they tell you their pronouns and it's not what you expect. But I want, to, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're waiting outside your child's school and you see on a, next to the stairs going up to the school, there's no people around, but there's a backpack sitting there. You would probably say to your child, someone left their backpack on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Now that's they as a single pronoun, right? It's not multiple people's backpack. It's one person's backpack. Someone left their backpack on the stairs. Yep. And it is no harder to say that than it is to say, Jamie left their backpack on the stairs. Mm-hmm. Right? And if we can show respect for that ambiguity when we don't know who the person is, certainly we can find it within ourselves to show respect for that ambiguity if we do know who the person is. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's such a great approachable analogy. And further, if we saw that the backpack was pink, we would make an inference, right? And we shouldn't. Anytime that we can shake those stereotypes and those norms is a good thing. And and obviously we categorically are behind <laughs> as an industry, right? We all know that I laugh about it because that's all we can do some days, but I love all, <laughs> seeing all this forward progress. And I love the question and I love the conversation around it because that's where the growth happens. So Amy, this is unscripted. You did not see this coming, but these are a couple questions that I have for all of my guests. And I would love you to tell me if $100 magically appeared in your lap, what would you do with it? Oh, like right today? Right today. Like Oh the- goodness. Right today. Um, I just got a medical bill. Ah! $98.14, and I would use it to pay that. Oh, I love that. That's so practical, and I'm not surprised. So in the second one, which is a total softball, is Amy, if people wanted to connect with you or learn more about the work that you do, where should they go? The best place to find me is at leadatanylevel.com. Wonderful. And connect with you on LinkedIn, I assume? Absolutely. Okay. Very good. Amy, you're great. I am so grateful to have you in the world, in my world, out there doing the work that you do. And 2020 is going to be a good year for both of us. I can feel it. It's going to be amazing. There's so, so much work to do. You've been listening to Bound and Determined, the podcast, hosted by me, Meg McKean. Theme music produced and performed by Amy Gerhartz. Learn more about the podcast, including sponsorship opportunities and how to become a guest at adjunctadvisors.com. Thanks for listening.